0: Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today I have with me a special guest. Mary is an airline pilot who moved to another country, learned a language, and was able to land a job. Her story is of challenges and successes, which she's here to share with you in hopes that she'll inspire you and educate you and everybody who may be in the same position. Before we get started, a quick uh, announcement, Uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. You can find all of our courses, the scholarships guide, the career coaching, and all the other technical courses that we have online. We're adding more uh, as we go forward. It's not just about careers. We have other courses out there, things like uh, departures and arrivals, that type of thing, and we're putting more of those out there. As a matter of fact, we're working with the FA trying to get some uh, of those uh, that can actually work in that. The safety program and get your wings. So look for more there and don't forget to check out our. Our page, aviationcareerspodcast.com And look in the right and you'll see some coupons for some discounts Plus, if you have questions both for myself or any of the guests on the show Feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com Please reach out to us And what we'll do is we'll forward all those uh, to whoever you want to speak with But uh, anyway, we have today, I mentioned Mary Tirana Vasquez Who is actually an airline pilot now And we're I'm here in sunny Florida But she's actually in a very beautiful area and is in Hawaii Hey Mary, welcome uh, to the podcast Podcast.
1: Hey Carol, hi, thank you for your invitation to the podcast and hi everyone, all the guests Aviation Career Podcast.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so we have a couple things. We have a lot to go over actually and, and Mary's been a friend of the podcast for a long time. So a couple topics we're going to go over and uh, because Mary, you truly have some done something amazing. You've uh, moved forward in your career from a, a very challenging past. So before we get into that, just tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Where you are you from, what you've done in the past and, and where you are now as an airline pilot?
1: Um, I was uh, born in Colombia, I was born and raised in Colombia until the age of 23, and uh, I uh, went to school, uh, flight school in Colombia and Argentina and the U.S., and it took me about 12 years since the first time I started it was uh, in 2007 when I started my first uh, ground school for um, a pilot course and um, I became a pilot uh, in you know I was just uh, not nobody from my family was ever related to aviation in fact my, my mom was a was a school teacher for a long time and my ba- my dad was a bus driver in Columbia you know both had like medium low, Class income, and nobody was ever interested in aviation or anything like that. I was the only one kind of that um, was really amazed by planes and fell in love with the career. And uh, I just uh, have had a lot of, uh, you know, a long path until I finally became a commercial pilot in the United States in 2016. Um, And um, of course, after that, um, I started paying back what I have invested a little bit and. Really, really work hard to get into the commercial part of the aviation in the United States, and I finally landed a job in 2017. Um, in my first commercial pilot job, that was uh, um, uh, as a jump pilot, and then finally I. Soon after that, uh, I uh, actually got a job in a 135 operator uh, in the Hawaiian Islands. And I currently live in Kona, Hawaii. Here's like, um, currently 70...
0: six degrees oh nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm jealous boy and that's one place i've never been to so i you know we probably should have done this podcast over in the islands i should have come out oh, to visit <laughs> yeah, well, it i'm definitely i'm definitely gonna might take you up on that for the next episode we get together oh, i'm gonna do it over absolutely. there <laughs> yeah. that'd be cool <laughs> Well, guys, you know, it, it really has been an interesting journey. I know you and I have talked a lot in the past. And uh, but uh, one of the things that and, and you went through that fairly quickly, which is great, but there was a lot of challenges along the way. You've actually seen it all. You've been able to pay for your flight training, convert licenses over to the US and, and be able to get a job at very low hours. And then you're not a native English speaker. Uh, and there's some challenges with that and also challenges with being a, a Latina pilot in the United States. So we're going to go over all that but first the big the big elephant in the room is is paying for your flight training i know you have a lot of suggestions you have a really cool uh youtube channel out there uh where i saw some of the things about scholarships so why don't we do that let's talk a little bit about that first you know how did you go about paying for your flight training and uh, with a very low budget and uh, how were you able to move forward and what suggestions do you have to people
1: um well <clears throat> Uh, so let's start with the fact that I grew up in Colombia and um, I know it's challenging to for some people is is like uh, they think that they cannot ever pay an aviation career in the United States. And I am uh, like a truly believer that you can always do it here because where I, where I grew up in Colombia, one monthly salary. Like minimum wage is about two hundred and fifty dollars, or between two hundred and fifty and three hundred dollars a month, right? That's what a wow. person will get working forty hours a week uh, or more, and that was that'll be the monthly paycheck, right? And that's what one hour of flight costs in Colombia. So you have to work two hundred minimum monthly salaries to be able to pay for your career if you were born in Colombia. That was one of my haggest, uh, one of like the 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 biggest challenge I had. So when I realized that not even like not even having a mom and a dad and my, my parents were divorced and afterwards it was just my mom, um, I I realized that I like how am I gonna afford that like I, my career costs more than my mom will ever make in like probably fifteen years of work um, and, um so. Uh, what I did was that, you know, there is a great thing about aviation. That's, this is why I love this career so much, uh, especially uh, how uh, the aviation is in the United States. And is that we have the Chicago agreement uh, for the ones that don't know what that is. is the ICAO agreement uh, in between uh, ICAO countries um, about um, getting the equivalent of your hours in any other country that is also part of the uh, uh the ICAO, so uh, the, civil Avi- the civil Aviation the civil aviation, international civil oh, aviation sorry. organization. Right, I'm you sorry. got it. <laughs> <laughs> so what the ICAO does is really great, meaning that you can fly when we're in Argentina, which is part of uh, the ICAO, uh, uh, Colombia, the United States. We are all part of the um, uh, of the uh, ICAO, and then you can convert convert those hours and they can certify them and use them uh, to get privileges in in a different country. So in Colombia, I was so expensive. It was $200 an hour. But when, when I started and I was like, Oh man, I can't pay for this. Then somebody told me, Hey, if you go to Argentina, which is in that time, I'm talking about 2008, it was $70 an hour with an instructor. Um, then you can do it. And I actually, that's what I did. I got it. My mom, uh, got a a loan in a credit union, and I'm going to talk about credit unions in a second, about that financial tip uh, that I used. Uh, We have been always part of credit unions, and she got uh, um, a a loan from a credit union back then, and then I used it, and I spent uh, probably $60,000 getting my my private and all the hours that I needed in order to convert them to get a commercial pilot license in Colombia, and I paid only sixty percent of probably what I, uh, what I have. I'm sorry, it was thirty thousand or sixty thousand. It was thirty thousand at the time, which would have been the like sixty percent or sixty five percent that I would have actually paid in Colombia for my commercial pilot license. Which I mean. Which means like savings on thirty five to forty percent in an entire career, and that's including like living you know, expenses and all that. And so if some people who are listening are from Latin America, you can look in any country in the world that is part of the ICAO, and they could that, that you could you could convert those hours into the uh, into an FAA license that are valid or that are part of the Chicago Agreement, and it's a it, it's a different. It's a different scenario for every country. Uh, there are different requirements. It's different in every country. The not Colombian regulations are not the same as US regulations, and uh, it's a little bit. You have to look deep into that to fill the requirements the requirements for every country. But for the if you are willing, if you are looking to a big picture, uh, the entire. Um, Uh, you know, the entire package of 200 hours, 250 hours that will cost you a commercial license is really worth looking into other countries that will issue you a license that are part of the Ako because it could be cheaper, but that's an option for people who, you know, maybe some people are living already in Latin America or are living in one of those countries. If you're living in the United States, there are so many options there. It's, amazing to me uh, in latin america the disadvantage you have is there's there are no scholarships in latin america i would have been probably one like i w- would have been a very uh, eligible for a scholarship in colombia when i went to school i had to ride the bus for 2.5 hours uh, to go to grand school every day 2.5 on the way in, 2.5, meaning like oh, five hours in a bus to go get ground school and so many other, like, challenges like I, that, that I faced to be able to get to my school. And there were nobody who will, like, uh, sponsor or there were no scholarships available. Here in the United States is amazing. I have found so many, <clears throat> excuse me, so many um. Uh, um um, so many com- uh, communities and uh, so many people who wants to give money and help out like and uh, one of the ways that I discovered those was with <laughs> with actually with your book, your scholarship book, because I, when I found out about this podcast, just browsing into. Um, my podcast app I started listening and I heard about it and it was not too expensive so I bought it and um I found a scholarship I by then I had already paid for most of my training in the United States and I didn't know there were scholarships available right because I came from Columbia, there were no scholarships there right. I figured there weren't any here right and then I bought it and I found so many for private pilot for instrument rating um for all those especially if you're struggling with money and I didn't get for my initial training, but I got it. Uh, I got, I got awarded a a scholarship for uh, the career scholarship from owning corporate aviation. And I found that scholarship in the list of the scholarships that you list. Uh, So those, you know, that's one tip. One tip, just to look for any available scholarship that are there. And I have some other tips that if you want me to go. Yeah. Over, I
0: could, yeah. What was there an issue as far as uh, when you were looking for the scholarship? Uh, did you have to like join an organization or anything to get that scholarship? Or uh,
1: yeah, I did. I I had to join Women Corporate Aviation. But honestly, I and I am also part of the ninety nines and. Part of Women in Aviation International and their their fees. Really, I think it's like forty five dollars a year or something like that. Uh, but and I'm also part of uh, IOPA. But uh, there is one thing that uh, I uh, all of these organizations they have uh, positive things to add. Like um, I have met uh, in Women Incorporated. I think you can you can have a mentor uh, that will actually follow. You can write to that person that is a volunteer will write you back, you can write that person, hey, I am in this situation, I am this age, I'm looking for this in my life, This is these are my career goals, I want to be a corporate pilot, or maybe not corporate pilot, but just your career goals, and this person, this mentor, will write back to you and tell you, okay, I think you should do this step first, the second uh, you could do that, and so far. And that's free, that comes in your, um, um, it comes with, uh, your, uh, your annual, um, fee. And I think that is like really cool too. And it's not like they're, they're not professionals right there. They're just people who are willing to help. And, um, same thing with IOPA. I think I, once I needed to talk to somebody regarding to, um, uh, some regulations and I found an attorney for free. So they, uh, they offer their, and, and I'm not part of like, I'm not like, promoting any of the organizations because uh, I, I'm not getting paid for that or anything like that. I'm just saying that, you know, everything, if you need to pay, you you could look into what benefits you. And if it does benefit you, okay, pay. And then, for example, in Women Corporate, they have so many scholarships you cannot apply to. I applied like four and I got a word one. And there are so many Um you know, you. I think you uh, you listed one for CFI, and I ended up buying one for my multi-engine or something like that. So <laughs> the, uh, it's just it's just. Uh, I think the best investment for yourself is go on the, you know, go online, just 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 read about these other organizations and gatherings. Uh, I think that's uh, another tip. Um, the Best thing that you can do for aviation is networking, but networking for like in real life and um, also online. I am part of several aviation groups and uh, actually I got my first job as a pilot with... A person that I talk on Facebook that I didn't really know in person, but uh, that I always commented on his pictures, or I always, there's, you know, uh, uh, photography, aviation photography groups, and then you uh, you comment on that, and the the more you comment, the more you are engaged with all these pages and groups, the more they see your picture, they recognize your Facebook profile the profile picture of your facebook and they know you, they get to know you in the group and then if something comes up they absolutely uh, uh come back to you and tell you hey there is this opportunity or, or so forth um and there are other tips that i have to regard to when you're really uh in a low paying job and are trying to get an uh you know Try to get a, a job in in this field, especially being a pilot, which is expensive. And you know, believe me, I come from very from a very poor family. Like in the U. S. standards, we're very poor. Like I'm super poor. I'm medium class in Colombia, but here I'm I am you know I've struggled with money a lot. And I've met people that work like at McDonald's or Jack in the Box or you know, some very very low minimum wage. Uh, paying jobs, and they're like, yeah, oh, so cool your job. I, I would like to be a pilot, but I will never afford it. And I was like, wait, I clean houses for a living. I walk dogs and clean. You know, I was a housekeeper, a babysitter. Um, I was a gard a gardener. <laughs> I was, you know, in Seattle in the summertime, I was like. 80 degrees outside i was cutting the loan with you know there are people trying to get money and um i know it's possible in the united states it takes a lot of work it takes, it takes more work if you don't have the res- financial resources to do it but you definitely can do it and especially if you show that you are struggling some people feel embarrassed to show that they are struggling for money but i don't <laughs> because i'm colombian like i'm I'm very open. I don't really, I don't think I'm going to be less person for showing that I am in need. And that actually helps you to get the gain. Some of those scholarships that see that you're really trying, you're really struggling. So I had several jobs and um, to be able to pay back what the credit cards that I, that I paid my training with. And the way I did it was that um, I didn't really have uh, credit score when I first came to the United States I was a visitor at the beginning and then I started my training while I was in a tourist visa which you can because it's not like a formal type of education so I I started just create just I, I was not I was not even planning to live in the United States but I needed to figure out how to increase my credit because I knew that probably I will stay in the country and then I got Credit cards with uh, zero APR promotional APRs because they are everywhere, and I just managed my credit so well that I ended up with a twelve thousand dollar credit card uh, that I used with zero percent APR with a credit union um, that uh, in Washington State, and those are the if you manage your. Uh, finances really well if you are willing to learn like listen to financial podcasts or anything like that that can help you to increase your credit score uh, you can make it even with a very very low paying job so um, that's
0: awesome I tell you that mm -hmm. You know, just just going back, first of all, hats off to you about just working so hard. I think one of the things I want to glean out of it is, boy, you really did a great job and worked really hard to get to where you are. Plus, you were able to, to get, take information that you learned off even the Internet, et cetera. And and a lot of people don't realize how important that is to actually manage your credit. So, uh, just first of all, I mean that that's that's awesome that you did that. I think you you did the hard work, and I, that's that's something I, I really think I want to point out. And emphasize it is that it doesn't matter if you work hard, you can get this done, and if you work smart, you can get done even quicker, which you've done, and you've worked smart and worked hard. So uh, obviously, you're you're going to be successful in your your future endeavors, and uh, and I and you but you had to you had to do this because uh, you didn't come for much money, and I think that's absolutely terrific. But anyway, I digress a little, and uh, one of the things that I think too is that. Um, you were able to connect, I think, social media, you said, uh, Facebook. Another thing I think that's important, and I think a lot of people don't realize is the other social media network, especially the folks that are younger that are listening right now, is LinkedIn. And the reason I mentioned LinkedIn is because that's where all the recruiters hang out. Uh, did you ever uh, do anything with LinkedIn? And did, were you able to use that also as a social media? I know you mentioned YouTube and Facebook.
1: Uh, yes, I actually forgot to mention about that, but my LinkedIn is spotless. I update my uh LinkedIn and probably every two weeks or something with the amount of hours that I have. I have a clean uh picture of my face smiling uh it doesn't have to be on like a, a tuxedo or <laughs> like a suit or anything. I have it just with normal clothes, but really uh, it's a really good uh photography because that's the first thing that the recruiters uh, see your face. You have to be glamorous and look like a glow, right? That that's uh, important for me at least. I think it gives a good impression. So that's number one. My picture in LinkedIn is really good, and then my description of my job. I actually have somebody who was native English speaker um, to help me uh, to make it uh, a really like uh, that is written in good grammar and uh it like it's fun to read about just my description that the, the introductory uh to it's like a two paragraph introductory uh, page that appears uh, at the beginning of your uh, linkedin and then i got listed my jobs and i got mostly because i'm interested in aviation i linked most uh the most relevant jobs that are related to aviation and i also follow people like facebook is a great on, informal way to meet people, but LinkedIn, if you follow all the airlines that you like, if you follow recruiters, if you follow other pilots that have, um, you know, that are important in social media, uh, you can link with other people uh, because you like some something that they post or anything like that, and people, it's easier to find you. Um, so that's what I do. I have a, a spotless clean LinkedIn, always available. My uh, another tip <laughs> is that I every time I jump seat because now I'm an airline pilot and I'm a cast member, so I can jump seat. Every time I jump seat, I have a very unique type of business card. It's not the same size as normal business card, and it behind of it it has a um, QR code that if you put your cell phone, uh, it will. Uh, it has a link directly to my LinkedIn profile. So people can actually, as, long, as soon as I hand them the card, they can immediately look my LinkedIn. And that has brought me a lot of contacts from airlines like um, um, Alaska or United. And those are, I'm not at that level yet. I don't even have my ATP yet. But there are other people that are looking, oh, my God, Mary, you're such an interesting person, very personable. Oh, my God, I have your contact here. So that's an Plus, because maybe a few years later, when you're going through the majors, they are going to remember you. And if you if if you find a positive way uh, for them to remember you, it's good for you because all you need in uh, aviation, I think, in my own personal opinion, is somebody who gives you an opportunity there, you know. And right now it's easier for us because there is a boom for aviation, right? There, There's a uh, pilot ch- uh, sor- uh, sure, shortage yeah. and uh, people are needing pilots. But if it th- happens then later, the economy doesn't do so well, you want to have as many friends or as many positive um, uh you know uh, the people remember you positively in case you are in need of a job or anything like that so that's super important LinkedIn is like number one for me too
0: Yeah, I, I think too, the fact that you, you're so transparent, I think is awesome. And, and there's a difference between being personal and transparent. I tell people that is that there's certain personal things you obviously you keep, but uh, that's why I, I looked at a lot of your stuff online and, and it's terrific. And that's why, because you're, you are very transparent and you are who you are and very humble about that, which is terrific. But one of the things I want to ask you, you know you talked about all your LinkedIn and um, you said something about getting someone to help you with the writing. Um, a lot I guess a a lot of people don't realize it. You know, my I come from an immigrant father, and uh, my family came over here to this country in the U.S. and had a lot of struggles. A lot of them learning how to speak English. Um, obviously, I don't have a problem because I was taught English as a child. But for the person that's coming here, um, and especially as a pilot, boy, uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to go into that. How how in the world do you? go from a, and not just Spanish speaking, but any, any, anywhere. I know a lot of people are here from other, uh, especially the, the Latin America, but, uh, how do you learn like aviation? I mean, aviation is so different. First you got to learn English and then you gotta learn aviation. So how in the world did you do that? Oh, <clears throat>
1: um, yeah. So it, um, it, it's been a challenge. I have to <laughs> admit that, um, I initially started, uh, I started learning, uh, you see, <laughs> I started learning English when I was uh, in high school uh, because it's a required uh, subject um, in high school. Uh, and I did some, like I did some college uh, related to languages, but it was mostly Spanish, but it had a little bit of English. But in reality, uh, you don't really learn. Um, uh, English uh, to a proficiency level is very difficult unless you really, really are into it. Um, unless you are in a, in, a, in an English-speaking country. And for me, 70% of the English that I speak right now, I learn it after I landed here. Um, and it was uh, it was the the day-by-day English. You can I can get by. Uh, I don't think I. I mean, I have a very noticeable accent and <laughs> that's I don't think it's ever gonna go away I'll I've tried but I don't think so um but the but the aviation English was especially challenging for me and um I just uh I had to do more than everyone you know when I was going through flight school I just had to read more I just had to try to speak more and speak not in an informal way but try to um, be like a CFI, I'm not a CFI, but like just discuss aviation topics with other people. That was one thing that helped me out uh, a lot. And, um, uh, that was basically what helped me out the most. And then, um, when I was getting this job at my, my current airline, um, that was when I really, really faced, uh, a challenge for, um, for the language because i am talking to honolulu radio or you know honolulu tower and ground and they are not They some controllers are now like oh i'll repeat it for you <laughs> they are very you know short and they are very uh they get a lot of traffic so they don't they have no patience for that so i could give an advice if i mean if if I were to give an advice from somebody who was already on the line when I was in flight school or trying to get this English for aviation, um, I would like to hear, a, you know, a few tips. And I have some for those who are in the same situation that I was like probably two years ago when I started. And it's um, find an English for aviation course. There are so many online, and especially if it's one done by native uh, speakers, it will be better because a lot of countries. Especially in Colombia, I see aviation, um, English for aviation courses. But in reality, the they are given by people who are Spanish speakers, who yeah have been in the field and the industry. But it's better when you have an native speaker because the accent they they just have learned it since they you know since they grew up so uh, they have we have a a a few problems in pronunciation that makes it harder to pick up on the radio or just talking different topics you know like for example i say like i think i pronounce e instead of a or something like that so that sometimes uh, people who are not not of a speaker they they can't pick up on those things Uh, there are certain things that we as foreign uh speakers we don't really pick up on the difference right so number one uh, pick that uh, english for aviation course that is you know from another english speaker uh, country and that will be one then atc live is a lot of help maybe just in your lunch break or anything like that just sit down and follow one um one of the one airplane i don't know um, maybe you are United 1742, right? So you, you get into one of the frequencies, and then you try to be United 1742. And then every time you hear it, you answer it. Like you know, you're gonna look like a crazy person running around your house just repeating what radio says or repeating radio calls. But if you do that, that will actually help you a lot, and it will be like in real life. Maybe you look. The first times I, the first few times I did it, I was like, oh. Did it land? Did it switch? Like, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear that. And that's what you're missing when you're a non-English um, speaker. You sometimes, you miss those things. And you're, you really have to train your ear to listening to the radio, especially. And also for grand school and for if you're taking, like, a, you know, like a, you're getting certified on a type, uh, type rating or anything like that, certain terminology it's really hard to you know like I was going through school for the Caravan, as a caravan which is a very versatile and not super difficult airplane but it's a turbine engine and certain turns in ground school I was like what is that like I learned those same like I learned the engine like the, the how they work in Uh, In Spanish, and I was really familiar with that. I went to ground school in Colombia, right, and Argentina, too, but certain, like, some terms you don't identify, so you really, really need to get familiar with those books, and if you don't know what a part of an engine is, you really have to look it up and understand it, because once they go to ground school, sometimes they are not, they're not going to sit down and explain you what, like, you know, uh, what a a chamber is, for example, right? Oh, this is the compression chamber or the whatever it's it so if you don't know what chamber is then you're lost right so you really really have to get familiar with every single part of the you know the systems that you're gonna uh, be flying for if, if it's not so much of a problem your general aviation if you're flying piston engines but once you start moving up it starts becoming a problem so the more familiar you get with it the better it will be for you
0: That makes a lot of sense. And uh, one of the things you can do now, uh, everybody should do this, is sit down in front of your computer and go to LiveATC.net. We talk about LiveATC.net slash SNF, where you can listen to air traffic control and you can listen to them talk. And I actually, I have, uh, what I do is I'll go to the airport. I won't have my radio, but I'll have my phone. And you can download Live ATC as an app on your phone and you can listen. And, And that's a great idea is kind of respond to the radio calls. And if you want, get yourself a small portable radio. Another suggestion I would have, and this is what I did, is uh, you know, when I was younger, I've actually been to quite a few different Uh, coaches, audio coaches, and also uh, speech coaches, and then I've been to broadcast coaches, and don't be afraid to get some help. I am constantly getting help from people so that I can speak better, and I had, when I was younger, had a speech impediment, and I was able to go to an actual coach and be able to learn how to speak. The other thing with the accent, as far as you're concerned, there's actually the coaches for that, too. And I had a pretty strong accent when I was younger, and uh, was able to get rid of that just by by going to these people so if you're if you're one of those people that want to do that, um, take the effort they are out there they're they're a little bit expensive to do, but there's a lot of stuff online for free, and you can listen to those tutors and there's free tutorials and free classes that you can go to and it's in the paper. Uh, You can see it in the newspaper. You can see it online. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And the online courses, I think that was some really good advice as far as how to excel as a a pilot in the U.S. as a non-English speaker. We all, even those that are native, the English speaking could benefit from doing that. So I think that's terrific. You know, before we get into some of the challenges, I do want to uh, kind of back up here as far as uh, you went over uh, converting your foreign licenses into the FAA licenses and the ICAO standards and and things like that. Um, what, How long, uh, just give us a little bit of color on and, and more explanation on how long that process actually took you. And then, and maybe also talk a little bit about getting your first job even in flying.
1: Uh, well, uh, the conversion into an FAA license for me took a little bit longer than it should have because I didn't have the knowledge at the time um, about how things work in the United States. Um, and that's what I want to prevent uh, for you guys out there that are trying to do the same. And. Um, uh, So, what you first thing that you need to understand, and if you need to go in deep with that, I have um, a Facebook uh, page um, that uh, is gonna be on the description on uh, Aviation Career Podcast website uh, is facebook.com CAPI Julieta T. That's a C A P I J U L I E T A T uh, slash. And that's my Facebook page, or maybe if you find on Facebook, you just type "Capi copy Julieta, uh, you'll find me. And it's, it's, um, it, the process, I, I explained that in Spanish cause, the, I, um, uh, most of the people who follow me uh, on Facebook, uh, are native are from Latin America in general, but I'm working on getting subtitles for English. Anyways, uh, this is a long process and there are a lot of parts in, things that you have to do very carefully in order to work and take the less amount of time as possible and not like me, don't be like Mary, that took a year <laughs> to do this to get the permission to fly. Not not even like flying, just the permission to fly. So the first thing that you have to understand is that TSA, you, if you're a foreigner, you're if you're in a resident, I meaning if you don't have a green card or you're not a US citizen, you have to go through this process for every new type of training that you need to get uh so you will have for example if you come here with zero hours and you want to do your private or if you come with a commercial license you're gonna get only converted into a for uh, private uh, foreign based license private pilot foreign based license and then you have to work your way up to your commercial right so every time you do your instrument or your commercial anytime you want to train for that or your multi i just got my tsa permit to do my multi like a month ago um, and I have been living in the States for over six years. Uh, so the, the, the one thing that you need to understand is that you have for every new type of training, you need to get this thing done for the most part, right? And There are three entities that you need to comply with. Number one is TSA, um, uh, is the, uh, the Transportation uh, Security Administration. Is that, is that, did I spell that right?
0: You got uh, it right, Transportation <laughs> Security Administration, yep. <laughs> okay,
1: yeah, the FAA. And the USCIS, um, so the USCIS controls the visas and all the immigration status and all that. The FAA, obviously, the licenses and the TSA is just your basically your background check. So um, the I would recommend that those three entities are government uh, government entities and you have to comply with the three of them at the same time, but they don't speak to each other. They don't talk to each other. That's all I say. It's really funny. You have to comply with the three of them at the same time, but they don't communicate in between them. So you have to do your own work. You're responsible for your the uh, to com- you're responsible to comply with their requirements at their times and be at the same time. You know, like with comply with all of them at the same time for you to be able to start your training. So you have to be careful. In the order of how you do things for it to work, and if you ask me, my suggestion is first work on your type of visa. Uh, you can start uh, training in the United States with a tourist visa because the uh, aviation is not considered a professional career. It's like a, I can't remember what the status is, uh, but it's like a training. It's like an extra training, but it's not like formal education. It's like, like like if went to yeah. exactly it, exactly. So it's not like you are going for architecture or literature on the university, right? That has a different type of visa, which is the F-1. The F-1 doesn't apply to aviation stuff unless you are in a 141 college. Um, I think it's, uh, it's uh, your college, 141? Yep, uh, uh, sure yeah, are. exactly. So unless you are going to uh Paul State College or something like that, that is 141, you're not gonna get an FA, uh, F-1, <laughs> sorry. Uh, because that requires 20 hours, minimum, uh, a week of studying or training and stuff like that. Anyways, um, if you can start with a B1, B2, which is business uh, visitor uh, slash visitor, or you can do uh, J1, which is uh, cultural exchange, and with that one you can work. Uh, but there's a little, there are a lot of things and a, a lot of things uh, around la- that visa. And if I, have, I just want to say. Uh, that I'm not, uh, I'm not an attorney. I'm just <laughs> giving an advice of my experience, right? So please don't sue me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, but uh, just, just I'm giving you ideas of what you can do. You can go online and make your own research and find out what is best for you. Or find an aviation, uh, just a immigration attorney. It's different for every country, so it could be different in your situation. Uh, but basically, you can do B one, B two. J uh I'm sorry uh yeah J1 which is exchange and you can do an M1 M1 is a special permit that you'll get for doing a type of training and it's the one that is most uh that suits the best for the aviation type of training. And you could either get it in your country before coming to the United States or you can come visit with a visitor visa. And then if you have money to pay for your stay and wait for that license, that gives you a lot of it takes a long time to uh, change your your status. So if you're doing something else in the States, like trying to get an ESL course done, like going for a year, trying to get your English up to speed, that would be great come here with like a student visa and then change it to an M1 that will work for you as well or uh, if you need time to stay here and work on your English that will be a perfect way to do it and then <clears throat> the USCIS that's a uh, regarding to the USAS, right so once you get your status with the USCIS you have to be and I have to mention this because a lot of people have worked me uh, have asked me uh, excuse me uh, you need to be in a legal status in order to be um you, to get your flight training if you can't enter uh, uh, uh undocumented to the united states or you stay longer than what you're supposed to unfortunately i have never met anyone that has been able to do it because you go through a background check and i they actually need you to be have a like an alien number or have a type of visa. So um, that is just the way it is. And um, second is the FAA. If you, uh, I'm sorry, the TSA. That will be the second thing. Uh, TSA requires since after 9/11 they require to run a background check on you. And um, if you, um, you know, that process is the most. I think is the most difficult one. Like it's just you have a lot of things to do. They Get pictures of you. They want a picture of you. You have to do uh, fingerprints, uh, and you also they also run a background check on you. So um, the first thing after you get your visa is getting that done. And even before, if you don't have enough money, if you don't have too much money to stay in the United States and do your training, if you're planning to come back to your country, just get the FAA and go back to your country. I wouldn't recommend uh, to. I would recommend to start this process before entering to the United States, because it takes 90 days for them to process the initial, after you get your initial request for them to run your the background check, then it's like 90 days and they ask you for a thing, they give you a date for fingerprints and then they take, Another, I don't remember exactly, it was a few years ago already, but they they take time in between those processes, and if you came to the United States in a tourist visa or like a six-month, three-month, one-month visa, and then you're trying to do this, it's not going to get done in time. Uh, I'm not sure if you can get the fingerprints done in the embassy. I did them in the United States, but you apply before you get called by for, uh, by the TSA to do fingerprints. It's going to happen, it's going to, you know, it's going to be like three months, like 90 days is what they say. And uh, it happened to me that I came to the United States and then I did the TSA. So by the time I was called to do fingerprints, I had to, I, I couldn't say more. And so I had to go back and spend $1,500 on a ticket, then go back to fingerprints. And it was still not done. And I had to come back to Columbia again, and spend another, you know, money on, the uh, plane ticket and get through, you know get in the country again to not you know don't go over the the, the maximum time that they gave me at the, when I entered to the United States. So you have to be really careful about the times. And so once you do that, once you get your fingerprints done, and then you you are gonna get uh, you have to pay TSA for that type of training and then they will give you 90 days to start your training. And if you don't start that within that, those 90 days, then it get canceled. So that's why the timing is really, really important that you really look into it and figure it out. So you get your fingerprints and then you pay and then you are still in the country to start that first like. because if you don't, then they will cancel you and you have to do everything again. <laughs> so it's really important. It's really annoying sometimes, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So for the, that's why for me it took a year because I was going back and forth and the times were just not you know just not precise for me and then be ready for take pictures and be really uh, you know following your email and just make sure that it doesn't go to spam because sometimes that those emails go to spam so really check on that and be following that really closely so you can figure out the dates and and then. The third one and I know this is getting too long, I'm so sorry. No, it's this is perfect. a lot of information. Uh, the third one is the FA. If you already have a as I said, if you already have a foreign license like me, I my I have privileges in Argentina, Colombia and the US. I have a private pilot in Argentina, I got my commercial in Colombia and when I got my frame based private pilot in the US, then I did a foreign based instrument and then I uh, my commercial and then I did uh, an unrestricted U.S. um, uh, instrument rating uh, here in the States, so I had to convert my first commercial license to be able to do the rest of the training, right? So if you have a license from other countries, either private or commercial or uh, anything like that, you can, the only way to do it is, uh, you have to uh, request a foreign license verification from the USAIS, you go to the FAA website and just type it in, it'll pop out somewhere Uh, It's a form uh, that you you, uh, just fill and you have to attach your medical and your pilot certificate. And then the FAA will send a letter to your country or the country of issuance, that license, and then, you know, asking for verification. And then your country will send a letter back to the U.S. saying, yes, this person has had this license since, X date, and it's good for the next six months, haven't had any accidents, is good, then the FAA issues you um, a private foreign base. But uh, there's something really important to explain here. If you're going to do that, you make sure you have enough, com- like you are on a English, uh, you have to be, I would say, B1, B2 conversational English to be able to get it. Otherwise, you'll have to present the ICAO test number four. If you're not able to... You, you go to an interview, to an, to a FISDO, and you sit down with a Czech airman, and if they if they see that your English is not really good, they will make you have an account. Uh So, yes, yeah, just to have in mind, you know, again. And just to, for you to be safe, if you want to make sure that you're good and you're going to be successful in your training or your job here, uh, just just do the account test. It, it, just prepare for that. There are tons of tools to prepare for that and just do it and that'll be easier for you to get a job here and then I if you want something to mention otherwise I'll uh, go ahead and uh, talk about how I got my
0: first job. Yeah, and and so just to summarize, there, there's this process starting with the visa and the TSA, then uh, you know going on to the FA and USCIS. By the way, USCIS, we call that in in, in America, other people say immigrations or customs and immigrations. Uh, that's how most people reference it when you're outside the US as USCIS because that's actually what it is. Uh, and what's interesting though about this whole process is it it can be <clears throat> somewhat complex, but you just have to do everything in order. I love how you kind of spelled it out for people and of course they can uh, find a link to uh, your facebook page that actually explains that too so um so now you have these licenses right you, so you had your commercial you got your instrument you got your commercial uh so now now what do you do you have uh you know maybe a 500 hours or less and you're off to try to find something
1: uh yeah so when i finished my um commercial in the united states i ended up with the just uh yeah, 300 hours, 310 something around that neighborhood, and I was okay. I got my commercial license, and and by the way, I just mentioned that the USCIS, uh, I I got a I got a different. Process to become a resident and get a work permit. That's something this is a wide broad subject I have a small video about it on my youtube channel that is linked in my uh, uh, my facebook page Um, And it talks a little bit of how you could probably get a sponsor by somebody to get a work visa Uh, but generally it's just so complicated, so broad, it's such a wide subject that I don't wanna bring that up. But but just to clarify, when I became a commercial pilot, I had a work permit. I was not a permanent in Brazil yet, but I had a work permit and I had a process with the USCIS. And it was just, even after having my work permit, most people think that you come to the United States and then you're like swimming in money, right? Like, oh, you got to
0: America. <laughs>
1: You're suing my but that's not true. As I said, I was really struggling with my money, and you know, I for five years, uh, for four years, I worked in really tough jobs. Like, uh, uh, you know, I washed airplanes in a flight school, and I taught uh, Spanish in a high school. I like cleaned houses and babysit all at the same time, and I worked the minimum. Um, like a chill week was 65 hours a week. Um, I worked. Of over 75 hours most of the time. And, um, be, you know, but I was so, I was really, really hard trying to get out of being a nanny and not because I, you know, that it's, it's, it's less or it's, uh, I, I don't, I feel proud of saying what I work, uh, 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 that I work in or what I did to get my licenses, but it's just so tiring. It was, I was done. I wanted to do something else. I really wanted to be a pilot in the United States. I was—I had already a license, and I really wanted to be a pilot. I was tired of, you know, being work, being worked uh, to, to get to my exhaustion, and just I wanted something else. So I really, but I really didn't have the time enough. To, most of airlines or most most places will ask either your CFI or more than 500 hours. So I didn't have another $10,000 to do my CFI or maybe a little bit less, but I average it will be like 10,000 and I didn't even have 500 hours. So I was desperate for a job. And then, um, I started looking for options. I was the, you know, that's when I started to look for the scholarships and I ended up not, you know, I didn't get a CFI scholarship but I got my multi. So what I did was I really, really need to make this my number one priority, find a flying job. So I started, like reaching out on Facebook groups. Hey you guys, like I started joining, uh, blogs or just, um uh, anywhere where there were pilots discussions about low pine, low, um, low hour jobs. And I was trying to reach out people. And, uh, the first opportunity came on, on a Facebook group that is not related. It was, uh, I can't remember. I think it's always it flight above the Pacific Northwest is a great group. Um, um somebody posted there and i was living in seattle washington i was by then i think uh by then i was working uh less than a year in for samsung and i was i had an office job and also I was also cleaning houses and still doing do, doing these million jobs on the side to be able to, you know, pay back my debt and just uh, keep saving for the next step, right? And I was in Seattle, Washington, and somebody posted on this Facebook group, hey, guys, is anyone willing to move to uh, the Grand Canyon? Uh, we are looking for, um, for a jump pilot, right? Um, and I messaged that person like, hey. I'll move, I'll move to Arizona. Like, And they needed a person in less than two weeks. And I was like, okay, please, can you please recommend me? Please uh, recommend me with them. And by then I had already reached out to gliders club, you know, um, other people that were doing aerial survey. Um, I actually joined um, model to scale fly, uh, flying group. Those people who build little airplanes and uh, they just take them to a place and they just fly them around. I joined a group like that so I could meet people that could connect me with anything that could, you know, uh, led me to a job. And, um, yeah, and I finally ended up getting uh, in contact with this person that recommended me for a job in the Grand Canyon. And I moved from Seattle, Washington, a nice city where I had my car I had like, a you know, a decent place to live where I paid little. I moved to the middle of the desert to Valley, Arizona, which some of you may know. It's a place that has 10 houses. Eight of them are trailers. The only two real houses were the ones that were the pilots and the tandem instructors live and somebody else had a real house there. But in reality, there was a gas station and one restaurant and I was like, I'll move there. I'll go there and... I don't care if they pay me or not like I'll try to leave and credit cards until I get at least 500 hours because I once you break that uh, gap in between 250 and 500 if you are more you know you're more desirable for um, uh, for for a job you know people will look at your resume if you have more than 500 hours but I didn't so that's what I did and I ended up going there and moved to Grand Canyon and things didn't go well in the sense like, you know, I I had problems uh, with the airplane and I didn't have problems with the owners. We ended up in good terms. It just was just not a good fit for me. The place was in the middle of nowhere. The closest grocery, grocery store was like 35 miles away in Flagstaff. So I was like, I need to find another job. So I had already left my good paying job in uh, Seattle and I had no money. I had actually bought a car with a loan because I was moving in the middle of nowhere in my car, my Camry 2000 that I had, that had 260,000 miles on it. I sold it and I bought this not newish, not, not new, but like a 2012 car to move there and live there. So I was like, oh my God, I think I have to live on my car now because I don't have anywhere to go. So I was even more desperate by then. And what I started doing was like, in Arizona, there are so many drop zones for the ones that don't know what a drop zone is. It's a place where people go skydiving. What I did was I found on the, uh, I just typed locations of drop zones in the U.S. and Google. And it got me to a website that pointed out every single drop zone that was registered in the U.S. And me, Mary, was dressed up and not really dressed up, but like dressed nicely a big smile and I went to every single one of the drop zones that I found near me uh, within a three hour drive radios that I could uh, find a job. And I showed up and I was like, hey, you guys, I just have 300 hours, but I really would like to work for you. How much do you pay? $15 a load. I don't care. I'll take it. And, you know, really socializing with a lot of people. And I was like, hey, you know what? It's, it's been really struggling. I really need this job, and, and I didn't mention anything bad about the other drop zone or anything like that. But I finally got like running to some people that were flight instructors that they were really, really good friends with somebody else in California that they were really needing. For, they they were in need for a jump pilot in California and Banning, and I ended up going there. I I drove from Arizona all the way to Banning for an interview. I was like, hey, you guys, like, all I need is please just just give me the opportunity to go around the planet and see if you like that, like just demonstrate you that I can that I can fly this airplane without uh, crashing it, you know. And I only had 10 hours in the 182. That was a plane that I flew 130 hours in skydiving operation. Uh, and I flew the guy that uh, that was the owner of the drop zone, he was like, okay, let's see what you got. <laughs> and he took me up flying. I was like, I, I landed good and he liked me and he gave me the job. And I moved again from uh, the Grand Canyon to uh, to um, South California uh, to Palm Springs, and I flew in Banning, And I did that for 130 until I landed my job here in the Hawaiian Islands. Um, but to, to summarize all these words that I'm saying, is like you, you really have to show... I know some people are a little bit shy, and it's difficult for certain people that are more of an introvert and stuff. But what I really did was try to connect with people in some way. So if I met somebody who was a pilot, then I'll ask them about their lives. Like, well, how did they become a pilot? Or if they joined the Civil Air Patrol or if they were part of the 99s or a flying club. And then I'll try to bring whatever was from my life that could match or could be similar to their, you know, to their hobbies or to part of their life. So... And I was always in a positive attitude. And I actually, that that was a technique that I read in another, that I, uh, sorry, listened in another podcast about personality that have worked really well. It's not lying. I don't lie about my life. I'm pretty transparent. And I I just really try to connect with people in some way very personally. And because of that, people have recommended me for other jobs. So if you're a there, brand newbie pilot, just like me, when, uh, you know, two years ago, no hours and just really starving for a pilot job with less than 500 hours i would really recommend to just reach out to people in in person if you can So and i didn't even mention other type of flying like tours if you live like in washington where you would go to orcas tour or sanguine islands uh there were some people that did that too and friends that went just showed their faces with their, their resume I was like hey look, like, I'm really into this, please let me know if you have any opportunity, I'll be super happy to join this family, and then read about that company that you're going to visit prior, you know, beforehand, so you don't embarrass yourself by saying something that you shouldn't say, uh, but that's what I did, honestly, and b- that just brought me other opportunities, just my my way, my, my personal uh, stamp was just try to socialize with people and connect with people in a way that they will feel that they're closer to me. And that brought me actually really positive things and lent me that job.
0: And that's a terrific way to do anything is to just personalize yourself with somebody else. And I love how you did that. And I like the fact that you've looked at all these different avenues to make your life better, not just the aviation podcast and all these other books, to just, just in general learning from people that non-traditionally uh, you learn from. And that's, that's awesome. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I think there's a lot of listeners right now that are listening right now that don't want to become a flight instructor. And one of the things that uh, if you've been listening to mary about this is that yes you can do it it's just it it might be a little bit tougher especially right now with the cfis being in such high demand but it can be done you just have to look at all those non-traditional ways of gaining hours and we see a lot of people that are are doing that now but mary this has been a great story but let's i'll tell you what we there's been some really good stuff here i want to shift directions a little bit here and these might be some difficult questions, so we're gonna we're gonna just come on out and, and do this. Some of the the aspects of being in this country uh, from somewhere else and being a little bit uh, from a different culture there's a, there are some challenges and some stereotypes. Obviously, uh, no matter what country you go from and to, like uh, you know I we had a lot of stereotypes being here in the U.S. and certain words are used that you don't really like and they're they're pejorative and they're you know there's statements that are made and. Uh, Uh, Words that are, are done and a lot of times out of ignorance and you just have to deal with that. But there's some unique challenges. Let's talk about your challenges as being a Latina pilot in the United States. There's a lot of different things that that'll be challenging. And this is geared uh, very much this part of our discussion I want to gear towards those people that are listening right now that that are Latina because you have that experience so uh, what we're trying to do is trying to help you if you're listening right now on a Latina pilot be able to kind of make that transition and, and realize this too and this helped me is that you're not alone. There's other people out there, and Mary's a good example of that. So, so Mary, what are some of those you, the unique challenges to you being a Latina pilot being here in the United States?
1: Uh, well, Carl, there, uh, there have been—I uh, mean, my experience in the United States has been great. I— love flying the states and um i think it's uh been a unique experience and i feel super blessed of being here uh, but as you mentioned um we do have uh i feel uh, uh, every foreigner uh but i I speak for my personal uh, experience of being Latina and being in this, this industry, especially being a female too, because I'm like, I feel like I'm double minority in aviation. <laughs> in aviation, I'm a female, so we, we're not too many. I mean, is growing, the number is growing, and I think that's that's awesome. I really like it uh, that more females are like, yes, I can do it. You know, they they feel encouraged to uh, go through this this uh part of uh, being a pilot um but you know and i'm also a foreigner which we're not too many especially from latin america um so i uh i have faced certain um challenges and i would say uh, most of like the the biggest one the the biggest ones are Number one, the cultural difference, uh, talking about like uh, idiosyncrasy difference in between the countries. Uh, And um, the second one is the language, like, I'll quote this language barrier. um, Because, and I speak for me, as I said personally, uh, but I have had this thing where um, I grew up as an adult until I was an adult. 23 years old. I was an adult in Colombia before I moved. So I really have some characteristics of my personality that are really unique uh, from Latinos. Like I'm very sparky and I am very high energy and I speak loud and I am fully, I have a lot of body expression. And sometimes that uh, has been a challenge because, I don't know, certain Country and and I have it's sad to say, but in cer- certain people are pre this like they they are in an, they when they see you act like that they um they have a this predisposition with you um just because you're from a different place. So a lot of things. I'm not saying everyone I have met great people in aviation here, people who have encouraged me in my darkest moments, like. Uh, when I think I cannot do this, I have had uh, friends that are, uh, as I call them, gringos or, you know, my, you know, people who are in aviation that grow up here. They're uh, probably from, you know, they are uh, have a lot of privileges in their life, but they are still my friends and they support me. But sometimes I feel certain people are. They could be a little bit, you know, they're like, they think that you come, I come from Colombia, so the first thing that they imagine if they don't know is that I come from the middle of the jungle where there's nothing but dirt roads and a bunch of narcos, right? (laughs) That's it. So they're like, oh, they think I'm allowed. So they are a little bit predisposed until they meet me. Some of them, they don't even have the ability to um open themselves to make, you know just give me a chance to uh, be their friend or not even be their friend but just uh be in good uh shape and uh a work uh a work relationship um but you know i just i don't let that come to me in the sense that uh, i have i'm proud of who i am i'm proud of where i come from and um if Um, I find people that don't really, uh, that they uh, discourage me or they just kind of take me aside just for being from where I am from. Then I just, you know, I just ignore them and continue being who I am and working for what I need to work. Uh, Not everyone at work will be your friend. They don't need to be your friend. You just come at work, do your job well, do well the things that you need to well, excel in your work is the most important thing. And then you can find ways to um, get that, you know, to ease those uh, those differences with some other people that don't, you know, that th- maybe their political differences don't agree with yours. Um, so that has been one uh, really big. And as I said, what I do is uh, I just, uh, I have actually had certain times where people have personally uh, <laughs> offended me for where I come from, or, oh, you don't speak English, or, you know, and the the way I think is, they don't, some people don't understand uh, what it is to move, like, they have never lived, like, I just, you know, I, I, they have never been in the United States and then moved to Latin America and then fly airplanes in an airspace where we speak only in Spanish. Uh, So, I think that they act how they act just because they just don't know how that knowledge they just don't know any better but um i just let them be and if they cross the respect boundary or any of the you know the the boundaries that come to the personal stage i just talk them in a professional way like what you're doing is a personal offense and that doesn't you can't it can't relate to my work Uh, everyone makes a mistake even if you are the best pilot, if you're a top gun, you're still gonna make mistakes. Like nobody is absolutely perfect in this aviation. The most uh, valuable, um, uh, I think the most valuable characteristic that you could have as a pilot is make yourself, not make yourself vulnerable, but uh, acknowledge that you're vulnerable. If you think that you're not gonna make mistakes, those are the people who actually are dangerous for this environment because they think they can do everything great and they don't have mistakes and they actually get themselves in situations that they don't they're they're not desirable. But if you're vulnerable and say, hey, oh I'm sorry, I made this mistake. I'm so sorry, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna train more, oh that landing was X or Y, I'm, I'm gonna work on it. If you are open for you know positive feedback, you're gonna be a great pilot, regardless of where you come from. So um, some people are just, uh, you know, they 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 make assumptions of where I'm from just because of where I'm from. Some people are really, really, uh, I would say, very politically in, in, uh, like inclined to a certain parts, you know. And they are, they find, they think that I am like stealing jobs, or you know, and they don't understand that it's not really easy. like if you are from Colombia and you're a pilot, like rated on a type rating, and you want to come to the United States. I don't think, I've never seen anyone that actually sponsor a person and can steal a job from somebody else. So it's just that people who start, sometimes don't have the understanding of that. So you just have to find a professional way to deal with that and then not let other people, the label, the, the narco label and poverty label to be stick to your face and make people understand in a better way that that's not the way things work. And that's worked for me, at least.
0: I think that's a that's a great great advice. No matter what, you know, just be professional, and and move forward, and and try to ignore that. and And that happens to in many different uh, labels on different people from different cultures, and and that's uh, and you, and all of us have to deal with that, no matter what. Um, but from your perspective, it's obviously you you can't hide that, right? And you don't want to. And we all want to have. I think it's important that we still have our our cultural perspective, and and we. Enjoy our cultures, uh, and and bring them, especially here in the United States, because it's a real melting pot. Which is is I think is totally cool. But with that said, uh, you will always have that, and and you, no matter where you're from, like where my dad's from, and we, we had there are certain words that are said about still to this day. I'll hear it's like wow, really, um, but you're not you're never going to get away from that. But I like what your advice was is to be as professional as possible about this, and there are some unique things. So um, with that said. I mean, there's obviously people that are listening that that love to hear that and say, hey, um, I like you've taken the high road which I think is important and uh, and it is there's times when you can call people out on this and there's times when you don't uh, there's times when you just can't win but uh, the nice thing is in the United States uh, you usually have a, a methodology of, of moving forward especially in a situation where you're employed uh, because you know we we really are nation. that's one wonderful thing about this we're a nation of people from many many different cultures and uh, and I I I think, and again, that's here in the U.S. the experience, but there's others out there. So I'm sure that um, with with what you said and with the information you you gave us and and that encouragement, especially for the Latina pilots out there, you know, I hope that you would, and if you are not and you have a friend that is, do me a favor and pass this along, pass this podcast along to them. And uh, and the neat thing is, you know, Mary actually has. Uh, a page and a Facebook page and a and a website where she does do a lot of work uh, in in Spanish too, uh, and and that's really cool. And you're also going to translate, aren't you?
1: Uh, yes, actually, I'm, I'm. Some of my I have uh, my most of my videos are on YouTube and they're all in Spanish, but I'm some of them are uh, already with English subtitles, and I'm some of them I'm working on it just because. I just have you know work and you know I'm living in Hawaii I also enjoy my life here and I'm trying to do one and the other and I am just starting with that project uh, I have a few like a few thousand followers in uh, Facebook uh, Instagram and YouTube, is they are not as big because I haven't promoted them, but uh, my, just, you know, I just think that it's my intention is to help others just like me. I also had somebody who, uh, when I was young, told me, hey, you can be a pilot. You can, like, doesn't matter that you don't have the money right now. You will make it through. And, well, it took a long time for me, but for all the other pilots out there that really want to do it, this is the time. This is the time to do it. You're going to do it faster than what I did it and that so many of us did it because it took a long time. But right now is the time to do it. And I want to help anyone who is interested in this field because it's awesome. It's so great when you have this passion and you think that you are so poor or you're not like you you can't do it. I, I have this barrier or this problem, I have this uh, issue, I cannot do it. It's great to find somebody who helps me out to find a way to do it. So I am here, um, you know, I'll answer your questions through my Facebook page and help you out in any way that I can. And I'm happy to, you know, uh, maybe guide you if possible uh, uh, until my knowledge allows me to uh, <laughs> to help you out to get to your Final
0: destination, your goal. Well, awesome, Mary. You know, I, uh, one thing that we're going to tell anybody listening is feedback at com. I'll forward those questions on. Uh, we would love to have uh, Mary back on and actually talk a little bit of maybe continuous conversation. And also another thing I'd love you to do is give us an update at some point about where you are in your career because uh, you've been really inspiring to me uh, as far as your journey. And uh, I really commend you for Everything you've done, you've done a wonderful job. And I've I've actually followed you for for a long time. That's kind of how we've got to this conversation. And uh, we've become friends offline. And and I, I was like, man, this is a great, great situation here. You could really help a lot of folks in the audience there. So I really appreciate that, Mary. Now, hopefully, you'll come back on, won't you?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Actually, you have to come visit the Hawaiian <laughs> Islands, and I can give you a body pass to go to one of the islands. I will fly you in the Cisne Caravan. It's so yes. super fun or to fly. Um, well, I'm working. I'm currently working uh, on a 125 operator in Hawaii, as I said, in the Hawaiian Islands. We fly from the big island of Hawaii, uh, from Kona, which is my base. We have another base in Waimea. Um, we fly to Kahalui, or Kapalua uh, in in Maui, and we also fly to uh, Molokai and Oahu. So it's a great experience because you get into all airspaces, even uncontrolled um, uh, air sp- airspace here in Hawaii. And you, uh, we fly into a lot of fun airports. We do a lot of VFR and IFR flying. We get a lot of nighttime as well. And I am... Almost, I'm super close to 1,200 hours, which is the minimum to become a captain. And I think uh, within a month, I'm gonna have scheduled my initial training for my captain upgrade, uh, because it's a two-crew environment. And uh, soon after that, captains are flying a lot at the moment. And soon after that, I'll be eligible for ATP minimums. And I'm already looking to into several uh, regionals. And I actually use, I will recommend you guys who are listening. I really thought that I didn't need a, um, a, like a coach for picking my regional because I was like, no, I more or less have figured it out and I know what I want. I can move anywhere, blah, blah, blah. But it really helped me to narrow down and get some strategy of how to talk to people and how to, um, really present myself to people with Carl. I, uh, pay. Uh, I had a session and it was great, and it has helped me to narrow down the regionals that I'm gonna go. I have picked a few, less than five, which is more or less what, in my opinion, you want. Uh, have the narrow down to your. Uh, specific goals and you and it's important to talk about stuff like hourly rate and you know benefits like 401k and all that and and all of those things i have have come to mind uh thanks to carol and the podcast and the coach session so from the bottom of my heart i'm I'm not getting paid for this (laughs) i am i'm just uh here a guest and i have found benefit in to aviation career podcast so uh, that would be one thing that you want to do uh, to do it the smart way, you know, the most efficient way, which is gonna be in less time, cost you less, and give you the most benefit. So if you can do it, then um, um, uh, Carl, I'm, I know I'll be happy to help you out. And you and you, Carl, need to come to the Hawaiian Islands to yes. uh, record <laughs> the next episode. You're welcome anytime. We, mi casa es tu casa. <laughs>
0: I love that. I, and I, and I really, I, I'm going to take you up on that because it's the one place I haven't been is Hawaii and also Alaska, but so, so I'm definitely going to do that. And thanks for the shout out there about the, the coaching. Of course, we, uh, we love doing that. It's more of a passion than anything else for me. It, uh, really is wonderful seeing people like Mary and, and those of you listening that have been through the coaching process and are now flying around the world in in large airplanes or you're flying and doing what it is you want to do, uh, whether it's out there, uh, Uh, Flying in the woods as a bush pilot and helping people and getting the word out and getting people the medicine and bringing people uh, to other folks that can help you or uh, it's uh, somebody who's looking to just teach her or to be an instructor, or if, no matter what it is, it's really important to do what it is you want to do. And uh, and again, thanks to Mary for coming on. We're going to have her back on, and uh, I cannot wait to hear the updates from Mary. And if you know, one thing we've given you so many things here, so so the I always te- end up telling people to do something today to move forward in their career. Well, one of those things I want you to do is check out the website and look at all the links we have on there and check out mary's website and uh, actually the facebook page is the best place to start we'll have that in the show notes well folks i appreciate your listening we'll talk to you next episode and safe line